Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers and sometimes some friends as they journey to board game fame. I'm your host, Michael DeVos. And I'm joined by Jesse Burnstill. And today with us, we have special guest star, Monica Rasso. Hey, Monica. Hello. Thank you for having me. We're so glad that you're here with us. Um, Monica and I have been friends for about five years. We met at Mega MooseCon, and she is an incredible personality in the board game world. And we're going to give her a chance to share all about the wonderful things she does in the board game industry and hobby when we get to our... That'll be a portion. A little bit later in the show. So before we go into our very, very important first question, would you like to give a very short introduction to yourself? Um, a short introduction, I guess in the board game industry, I am mostly an event manager. So I have a few different partners. We have a few different conventions, including board gaming crews. So I spend a lot of time just working with teams and working with contracts and just creating fun for other people and connecting people in the industry. Very nice. Before we delve into that, we have to ask the most important question. Yes. What have you been playing? Ah, that is a good question. Um, This weekend, I went up to visit my boyfriend who lives up in the D.C. area. So in Manassas, Virginia, we went to Crossroads Game Store and we played Furnace. Have you guys heard of that game? I've played it once. I really enjoyed it. I also played it once and really enjoyed it. I have been thinking about buying it, but I have not gotten it yet. Yeah, it was it was really fun. So it's like engine building, but you're almost building your own little corporation. So you have a way of selecting cards from the middle of the area. And those cards are going to give you different resources, depending on how you set them up in your player area and which ones you can attack first. So we liked it. It was challenging. The four rounds seemed to go fast once you like get the swing of it. But I think it's something that a lot of people would enjoy. And I think it's by Arcane Wonders. If I remember right, is that the game where you have like some different bidding tokens and you're bidding on um, how you want to improve your furnace or your industrial engine? Yeah, exactly. And your engine is kind of a a bunch of different buildings. So it's almost like your industrial area. So each card represents one thing where you can either, as you're bidding in the middle, you can get outbid. So that person might get the card, but the people that bid on it still get resources from it. So you, you feel like you're still getting something. So there's a little bit of strategy in there too on whether do I want to take these resources or do I want this card that will then be part of my huge corporation city that they can build things for me in the future. So yeah, it's it's definitely um, a good strategy game. Strategy like the one time that I played it, my favorite thing is that the higher number token you put on the card and still not win the card, the bigger the immediate bonuses you get. And sometimes you put that three token on there, hoping that someone else just puts the four token on there. Because you don't actually want that card. You want you want that immediate bonus. Yes, and well, nobody I, takes it. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> but then you got a really good card too, possibly. That's true. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes you just want those barrels of oil or coal or whatever, but it does multiply by the face value of your turn. You know what they say, you can't always get what you want. <laughs> but if you try sometimes. You get more than you need. <laughs> what else have you been playing? 
So everybody's been talking about Ark Nova. I yes. have a group of friends here that are just Euro gamers, so I'll give them a shout out to the Euros down here. And yeah, they were like, Ark Nova is the biggest, greatest thing. You know, we play a lot of um, worker placement, area management. So I feel like Ark Nova just has like so many different um, good parts to it. And I know you guys had said Jesse had talked about this a little bit last time on one of your shows. So I won't go into too many details on it. But yeah, I really do feel like, you know, I'm not, I wasn't sure about the theme. I'm not a big like animals type of theme person. You don't even think about it. You think about how you're creating this zoo. And... <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. You didn't think about the, wait, 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 wait. Okay, hang on, hang on. When I played, I was like, I will only build bird enclosures. And I had all the birds living in an, a well, one aviary and then a bunch of birds. And then the second time I was like, I will only have monkeys. I will have all the primates. And it worked. So did you, did you not like find a little niche for your zoo? Or did you kind of like spread your strategy out? Sweet, sweet, Jesse. I chose the predators. Oh. <laughs> I am so Slytherin. <laughs> but your friend, I was like, those predators look awesome. <laughs> so I did get into the, you know, a little bit. But yeah, I felt sorry for those birds that were going to be destroyed by my predators. I hoped and there was no destroying. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't think of it that way, but I am a Ravenclaw. <laughs> And I'm a Hufflepuff who hasn't played the game, but does own it. <laughs> well, we have to break that out sometime pretty soon. Soon, hopefully. Soon. So, Michael, what you been playing? So, I have played a couple of games recently, but those are repeats that I've talked about on the podcast a handful of times. So, I'm going to talk about a new game that I played a couple of weeks ago since we've last recorded, which was Middle Earth Quest. This is a Lord of the Rings-like game that takes place between the events of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and you play characters that were created just for this game who are thwarting the plots of Sauron. <laughs> so it's a, it's a one versus all. One player plays Sauron, and everybody else is on the side of good, and they're traveling across Middle-earth, collecting resources and foiling plots. Foiling, Yeah. And I think the cool thing is the good guys, there are multiple people, but you have one thing on the track that helps you win. Sauron is one person, but he has multiple ways that he can win. And so you have <laughs> – so you're basically – it's kind of like a game of whack-a-mole where you're running around Middle Earth, <laughs> but uh, it was really fun. It got it got really close to uh, the person playing Sauron winning, uh, I believe, with the with the uh, the ring, the ring plot of being able to find the one ring. And the I, like um, spawn things, or does the eye see things for him, or something, or there are key figures that he has that help spread his influence. So he has the ring race. He has the, the Lich King. Not, is that correct? Uh, and a few other canonical characters of evil that wow. help, that help. Uh, and he can help sprout monsters. So it's more of a corporeal influence being spread across from Mordor out into the lands of Middle-earth. 
Are and you guys all... big fans? Have you watched the new TV show? I I have not seen the new TV show yet. <laughs> I just started watching this weekend. There was like there's only two episodes so far. But if you are big fans, if you do like the movies, then the TV show is is really nice. That's awesome. I have I have not checked it out yet. I can't say I'm a huge Lord of the Ring fa- Rings fan, but I would be interested to see it. I hear there are some. Um, exciting changes in terms of casting and things like that that I'm curious about. Yeah. I'm going to be one of those people who's probably going to have to binge it all and try to avoid spoilers in the meantime. Do you ever feel like the board gaming hobby makes you want to watch all kinds of things or read all kinds of things you might not otherwise? Like, Well, Lord of the Rings has been out for 80 years or more, so... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Tolkien. boyfriend as we were watching it i was like is this based on like a book series that somebody wrote and now they're writing the tv shows or you know which came first the chicken or the egg type of thing so i have not looked that up yet to see if it's a new series of books or if it's just a tv show it's but a, it's cool it's, it's yeah. loosely based on some very very vague appendices and letters that tolkien wrote because Good. they don't have the rights to the Cimmerillion or to the lord of the rings Oh, wow. So, gotta purchase those IPs and they don't come cheap. Speaking of IPs, hey, Jesse, <laughs> what have you been playing? <laughs> well, I've been playing a few games, but the one I want to talk about today is The Batman Who Laughs Rising. It oh. is a cooperative game for one to four players by Patrick Marino and Andrew Wolf, and it's published by USAopoly. It is a game that is on my 10 by 10 gaming challenge that my roommate and I do every year. We started two years ago. We were successful last year for the first time, and this year we put on there, we each chose five games for our 10 by 10 that we're trying to play 10 times this year. We have now played this Batman Who Laughs twice. And it is a new implementation of the same system that's used in Thanos Rising. Each player chooses to play as one of four teams. You can be the power team, led by Wonder Woman, the justice team, led by Green Lantern, the determination team, led by Batman, or the purpose team, led by Hawkgirl. Over the course of the game, you are trying to increase your dice pool and your dice manipulation skills by building a team through recruiting heroes. You get a pool of dice, initially four dice that you roll, and the symbols on those, it kind of works like a Yahtzee or a King of Tokyo type style, where you can re-roll some of your dice to try to get the symbols you need to recruit new heroes or to defeat minor villains. As the game progresses, the Dark Knight track advances, and the Batman Who Laughs gains more and more power over you, and he eventually deploys his Dark Knights who make the game very unpleasant. Near the end of the game, the Batman who laughs will make his appearance, and you have to then very promptly defeat him, or he will destroy you. Kind of like the game Michael was talking about, there are several ways for evil to win. There's one way for good to win, and that is to defeat the Batman who laughs before he comes and attacks you and your whole city universe. So this Batman who laughs, is that the Batman, or a... You know, I don't know. <laughs> I um, I think there is a a comic series that delves into the Batman who laughs. I think he is uh maybe a perverse version of the Batman, but uh that's something that maybe I'll Google after the episode and we'll slide in here later so I don't sound like a complete moron. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. So 
This is not like one of my top favorite games, but it is a game that my roommate really enjoys because he is a big superhero fan and Batman is his favorite superhero. I bought him Thanos Rising one year, uh, about two years ago, because it was on clearance at Walmart for $7. And I was like, oh, Junior will like this. And so I was like, $7.00. Great purchase for $7. I liked Thanos Rising because it was not nearly as stressful as the Batman Who Laughs Rising. They have definitely learned how to make this game tighter for two players. I felt like the whole time I could never build my team because there was so much pressure to defeat these Dark Knights as they came out because they just... Once one of them comes out, they just keep coming and they get more and more powerful and it hurts. So it was... it was tight both games we played we have won but just barely and both games i felt like i was i felt like there was no chance of us winning and we won just by the skin of our teeth so if you enjoy batman and or other superheroes or if you even know who the batman who laughs is this might be a game for you have you guys played marvel splendor yes that was on our 10 by 10 last year and Yeah, my housemate definitely enjoyed that one, which I think is a really nice version of Splendor. Like, it has some clever changes to it, where it's still the same familiar game, but the changes it does make, make the game just slightly better. Definitely. Now that we've gotten that very, very important question out of the way, time for the meat and potatoes. The interview section! Meat and potatoes is such a Midwestern thing. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're joined by Monica Rasso. Monica is part owner and general manager of Tantrum Con, Game and Party Con, and Proto ATL, and is owner and cruise director of Meeples at Sea Board Game Cruise. She has been elected to the board of directors for the Game Manufacturers Association and serves as one of the two directors of media and events. In addition to gaming, Monica runs Super Scrappers, a scrapbooking retreat business. She loves that she has turned her hobbies into businesses. Monica is a single parent to two boys aged 17 and 14. We're so excited to have you with us today, Monica. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, the first question. That was a lot of things that you're involved in. I don't know how you have all this time. How did you even get started in all this? How I got started was I lived down in Tampa, Florida, and just moved there, didn't know anybody. So, my spouse and I at the time joined a meetup group on meetup.com, and it was a board gaming group called Brandon Board Gamers. The person that ran the group named Patrick, he had been to Origins and these great things called game conventions that that we we didn't think, you know, could even exist, but very welcoming group, women, everybody, you know, welcome in this little meetup group. So he started talking to Tom Vassell, and they started the Dice Tower Convention. So, what? Yeah, so that's wild. That's where I started was just working with Patrick and volunteering there. And then a friend of ours ran a convention called Nexus Game Fair up in Wisconsin. And he ended up, through my experience, hiring me. So that was the first time that I was a general manager of a convention. So I got to sit in on contract negotiations and see like how he negotiates, how he works with volunteers from like the upper level. And I got to see all that. So I ran that convention with him. From and Florida? Then... You ran the convention from Florida? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went up there for the actual <laughs> 
yeah, so every every convention I am physically present as. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but everything behind the scenes that happens before that, yeah, you don't, you don't have to go there. You can do a site visit just to see the space, but they give you floor plans and everything. And then at Mega Moose Con, where I met Jesse, I sat down with these three guys and they were from Greenville and they were telling me about this game day that their group called Tantrum House had. It was at the library and it was free. I can't remember if they said they had 200 people or however many it was. I was like, what? How many people? <laughs> and so I asked them, I said, do you guys know what I do? So I gave a little bit of my resume and I said, would you like to have a convention? And they're like, maybe. So went and talked to them and did a full presentation of what we could do. And they agreed to have a convention. So that was like my first convention on my own as an owner was with the Tantrum House group. Wow, that's amazing. And let me just say, Monica, Tantrum Con was my first like really really big ish con like i've not gone to the big gen con or origins or essence none of those big ones um but i've been to some of the more local ones mace and mega moose and tantrum con felt like a really big really professional huge event it was so exciting I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about Tantrum Con and also a little bit about each of those other cons and events that you manage. What makes each one unique and different and special to you? I love them all. Each um, group has a wonderful team. So with Tantrum Con, we bring in so many different talents from our five owner families. So you've got Will Meadows, who does all of our marketing. So you'll see how everything is consistent, the colors, the branding, everything is super consistent. We've got somebody who runs our children's program because Chantel has kids and and she knows those games. Like each person, what we've done is create a team based on each person's strengths and where they want to be. And every year we reassess that. We're actually going to reassess that this Thursday. Like, this is the role you have been doing. Do you Are you happy there? Do you feel challenged? Do you like it? You know, is it something that fulfills you? So my job, I feel like as general manager, is to help kind of find what everybody is good at and just let them have some freedom within that. So that's what you saw. You saw Melissa and Kevin teaching games. Melissa is an amazing, you know, instructor, GM. And Katie is an event planner so she would plant these huge tournaments which is a word we created where you would go did you go to a tournament jesse i went to several tournaments and they were so much fun my favorite one was the mystic paths tournament they catered a dinner and yeah. we got to play this game mystic paths which is kind of like code names it's cooperative and you're working with a team to navigate your little wizard through a maze by getting your teammates to guess words with only a limited selection of cards to choose from in your hand to describe those words and i actually met two really good friends who live in georgia josh and judalyn who i then spent much of the rest of the weekend gaming with and have since gotten a chance to go hang out with them in georgia and i'm planning to hang out with them on new year's like i made some really good friends because of that turn of meal so thank you shout out to josh and judalyn uh funny story about josh and judalyn I actually had met them before because they are friends of my friend. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I was I was at their house and Michael sent me a mess or Michael sent me a message and said, "Do you know Josh and Judelin?" And I was like, "Picture, <laughs> snap a picture," and was like, "Yes, I am at their house." Sorry, yeah, I just I may have just derailed us. So we were talking about the the turn of meals and how exciting they were, and that's part of Tantrum Con. Just to um, remind where the question was going, because I know you were telling us about Tantrum Con, what makes it unique. Yeah, I love that you were so excited about that, because that is something that we, we created, that, you know, you can have this meal, and we have a sponsor that has games, and usually every table there's a person that goes home with that game that you played at the table. So there is a, an additional cost for those, because you do get a meal, and then, you know, our sponsors help support that, too. So it's something where you have a tournament, but you get your meal, too. So that we, we kind of created that word as something, a unique experience that that only we have, as far as I know, and in the convention scene. Trademark it. (laughs) 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 I got to do the the two rooms in a boom turn a meal sponsored by Monster Energy Drink also, and the Rolling Realms one, which was, (laughs) all of those were super fun. Yeah, and it's interesting how we're all kind of intertwined, like the person that runs two rooms in a boom is now my partner for Game and Party Con down in Jacksonville, so... He comes and runs that for Tantrum Con. And so we're all kind of intermixing. <laughs> awesome. And the other thing that was super memorable about Tantrum Con was the table flip. Yes. <laughs> on Fridays. Well, that one came about with somebody trying to be a smart mouth to me that's like, Tantrum Con, so what do people like? Do they get mad and flip tables? And I was like, <laughs> We could. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a sponsor. um, And so I I think the name of the game was Maglov Metro that we flipped this year. And yeah, we flipped two tables. They film it in slow motion. So you could go on um, tantrumhouse.com and you could go to the Tantrum Con tab and you can actually see footage of those table flippings for the last couple years. So... Yeah, that is pretty fun. But we we planned, we know we want to stick to board games. Like, Cantor House knows board games. I know board games. That's like our comfort area. So we're just trying to do that really well. Like, teach a lot of games, lots of learn to plays, lots of open space, a, a great library where you can just check out a game with your badge and, you know, bring it back, kids gaming. Turn of meals. How do you source your library? I've always been curious about that. Is this just something you've been building over time? I'm sure you've got plenty of connections with different publishers. How does that process work? Well, it's my library. It's in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> but event, we didn't know that people would be so excited to give us things. So at this point, Tantrum House reviews a lot of games, as you guys know. They get a lot of games just given to them, and sometimes those publishers will slide an extra one in for the library, or we just use some of those games. And then all of our exhibitors, especially last year, I had Queen Games as one of our exhibitors, and Travis is like, I'm going to look through your library and give you whatever you don't have. Dude, I got like nine games added to the library. Although we have this nice thing. And now it's to the point of trying to cull the game so that there's something that people do really want to play. Like, I might have, like, a lot of miniatures games. I may like painting things. But those selections aren't good for, like, a convention board game. Memory. A lot of those aren't. So now it's kind of like getting rid of the things and keeping the ones that are most popular. But, yes, publishers 
will work with conventions because how I approach it is if you give me your game that costs them sometimes a dollar fifty to five dollars to create, I will then expose your game to eight hundred people at Tantrum Con to three hundred people at Game and Party Con. Like if you want that exposure for five dollars, you know. <laughs> so they definitely see the benefit of giving a game. And I know, like, to starting conventions, that's so important because you're trying to build up your library. So it's definitely an asset. That's amazing. Can you tell us more about Game and Party Con? Is that a relatively new one? I haven't heard of it before. Yeah, so Game and Party just happened. So we started in 2019 and had a contract for that following year. And that following year being 2020, Uh-oh. we then moved our contract to January 2021. Ooh. And that is Still not being a great time. So we we moved it to where it just happened this past August, our first year. We sold out and I ran it honestly. My partners are probably so tired of hearing me say, at Tantrum Con we do such and such, but <laughs> you know, that's my that's that's what I learned from and that's where we've seen where things work. So now I've kind of created this like prototype for conventions, if you will, of follow these deadlines, follow this outline, do this, and this is how to succeed. So I tested that with Game and Party. And again, fabulous partners, Mike and Jesse Davis. And that's in Jacksonville. And like, it's run a lot like Tantrum Con. We have some exhibitors. We have lots of learn to play. It's all board gaming. We've got a library. We did not do tourner meals. This, it was really the hotel that just didn't have the food options for us to be able to do that. But we had an open bar. We raised $4,000 for Maddie's Heroes, which is a, for childhood leukemia. So we're really excited about that. So yeah, it's it's just a cute and a fun convention. Mike has a group on meetup.com called Game and Party Group. And that's where we drew a lot of the people. So it was the same as with Tantrum House, like with them saying, I had this game day with 200 people. For real? <laughs> then Mike has this group with 800 people. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Um, it was so fun, and I'm definitely fortunate to have met such wonderful people. And That's amazing. It sounds like you're really learning from your experiences with one group and using them to build something new, and that sounds really exciting. Congratulations on Game and Party Con getting started successfully this year. I know that must have been heartbreaking in 2020 and then 2021. I know how hard it is to start something brand new and for it to just not be able to take off the way you want it to. Congratulations on that. So you mentioned two other major ventures, which are Proto ATL and Meeples at Sea. We'd love to hear about both of those. Take me on a cruise, Monica. Tantrum House, I feel like we have this really strong, like, board gaming event that's open to families. Game and party. We were welcoming in, like, party gamers and different types of gamers because Jesse and I were talking one time about, like, people that just play, just play, like, Monopoly or Spades or these, like, we'll call them more common games. They need a place to feel welcome to. So Game and Party has a lot of people that just haven't, you know, maybe they've played darts or they've played cornhole or something. And we were trying to transition that group of people. And we want party gamers to feel safe and welcome there. So I felt like, you know, I have this family convention, not like this kind of party game convention. Proto-ATL, that was started by Andrew Smith, who owns Gold Seal Games. He's a publisher. And so, of course, it's in Atlanta. And that's where we work with 
wanna or not wanna be, but like potential designers or hopeful designers and introduce them to publishers and we bring the publishers in. But you have this like awesome network of designers who want to play test your game, who want to give you feedback, who when you're there, just like you get so washed up in this creative mix of people. And it's really beautiful to see. So uh, you cannot play a published game. <laughs> you will get mocked for that. You, have to bring, you bring your prototypes, you help others, you network. And of course, you know, the goal is hopefully that you could show a nice prototype to a publisher that would want to publish your game in the end. Or of course, just tighten up your game. So I've made a lot of good contacts through there and just kind of found my place in helping people, managing events and just helping people make connections. Do you have any like major success stories of like people who like connected and linked up with a publisher and got like some major game that we may have heard of published as a result of Proto ATL? Um, we've definitely seen a lot of people like kind of go from start to, to bigger. Andrew would be the better person to ask for those types of details. I know a lot of people that I've met, even like for Tessa Elise, I actually met her at a gaming convention in Atlanta when she hadn't even thought of a game. So yeah, that is one, you know, a female designer in our area. So there's definitely um, J.B. Howell and a bunch of guys down from Florida come up every year. We've got the North Carolina Game Designers Group. They send a bunch of people down to Atlanta every year, and, and those guys are putting out games like crazy. So a lot of them. <laughs> so you've organized a few board game conventions. And I'm assuming that is perfectly transferable whenever you put it on a boat. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you can have a board game convention on the boat. What I like about doing a board gaming cruise is you've got your floating hotel, so your hotel's included, all the food you can eat. Because frequently people will look at the price and go, oh, that's expensive. But if you think about like having to pay for your hotel and having to pay for the food and one night you might go out to a nicer restaurant with your friends or maybe have some drinks. Well, if you have a package where you're, all of that's included plus your badge for your gaming convention and you don't have to go anywhere, like it's so nice. You don't have to work, worry about transportation. Yeah, and so we bring, the idea for Meeples at Sea came from, I met some ladies named Melissa and Sherry at Dice Tower Convention. And they told me about this cruise they had called CruisyCon. And I was like, well, what do you do with that? Well, we play board games. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, I like games. So I went on their cruise and I liked it. And then eventually um, it kept growing. And they wanted just like a little more like organization and kind of a, a phase of, for people to help with the administration part and greet people and just have everything really organized. So they created a position called cruise director. And so I worked with them as their cruise director and just helped, you know, with all that admin type of stuff. Eventually, you know, COVID hit and a lot of things happened. CruisyCon was going on 10 years at that point and life's changed. You know, mm -hmm. Melissa has some kids and now a grandkid and things just go different ways. So I was still enthusiastic about it. I had created Meeples at Sea to never compete with CruisyCon. And then eventually we merged the two companies, CruisyCon and Meeples at Sea. So that I'm just, you know, doing both of those now. But it's just one cruise. And is that coming up this spring? We have, yeah. So for the next two years on calendar, 
it'll be this March, I believe, and then April of 2024. And that's just meeplesatsea.com. Look at me throwing out my websites. <laughs> Very nice. But, uh, and I'm assuming it's not big enough to get the entire boat. So <laughs> you could, but so my vision has never been Gen Con. Like mm-hmm. I, I like the intimacy of the smaller conventions where you do get to know people and make connections like Jesse and I had. So no matter what, Meeples at Sea will always be a hundred people. Um, we're never going to go past that. I have no intentions of making millions of dollars. What I would like to do is make it more frequent. So, you know, mm-hmm. we've had it two times a year right now. Maybe we can do it three times and have one in the summer. Maybe we can do one in the fall, which my my um, travel agent says, that's a little thing called hurricane season. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe it'll only be three times a year, but smaller and more frequent are my goals for meeples at sea. Do you ever get people just passing by, just curious what's going on? We do, and we actually had one guy who was a big gamer, and he begged me to please, please, please let him buy a badge. Because <laughs> you, you usually have to go through my travel agent, and everything's secured through there, and, you know, but he, we kind of did a test, and he walked in and talked about games that he had played that were in our library, so I was, like, giving him the gamer test. <laughs> I let him buy a badge in cash, but that is... Actually, I don't even know if my travel agent knows. But we do have people come. I do have a banner up right outside the door. And I would refer them to, please come with us again. Please check out the event. Come in. Any of our events, I would welcome somebody to come look at. Um, Because once you see what's going on, you're going to want to come back next year. Mm -hmm. And most of them sell out. So that, you know, you buy it next year so that you can get in very cool so you kind of mentioned that you've created a playbook for how to plan a con without giving away your trade secrets what goes into planning a con the short version (laughs) yeah well i've been considering that and every single convention that i do even game and party at this last one two different couples came up to me and said you know this is so great We've been thinking about doing a game convention. What can we do? And I, so now I'm kind of looking at people like two different ways. Like, are these people someone that I want to partner with and give my secrets? Um, Or maybe I could do something called consulting and just work with people and say, I do have a method that works. I can walk you through it. And just like the different levels of consulting. But the basics of it are... Finding a location, finding dates, um, negotiating a contract, and that depends on what kind of location you want. Do you want like a church back room or do you want a convention center? How are you going to get people to attend? What's your audience? Um, and that's mostly what I'm looking at in partners. You know, like I said, Tantrum Con mention, or Tantrum House mentioned they already had these people. They have a YouTube channel, they have a following. And I just saw them growing. So I was like, I would like to be part of that. I like these people. Um, So that interview is, is this somebody I want to partner with and like, you know, take them under my wing and be part of their excitement or do it. it, Maybe I want to just do some consulting and let them go on their own and create their own vision. 
so I don't know if that helps, but from start to finished, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of little steps in there from volunteers to planning for signs to space planning. You have to make floor plans. Like it's, it's a lot. What would you say was one of the biggest challenges for you whenever you were learning this for the first time? I was super fortunate that I got to grow grow with Dice Tower Con and see how everything grew and, you know, being friends with some of the owners and getting to see their struggles and then working with Nexus as general manager and kind of learning on another person's dime, if you will, and seeing some of the struggles that he had. That was good. That was like an internship. So now I'm very careful, I would say, like just very careful to what contracts I commit to what numbers I commit to, very budget heavy. I think that definitely answers the question. People who play board games, even economic board games, might not think about <laughs> what are you agreeing to? How? What are the yeah. numbers that make it work? What happens when it goes wrong? <laughs> so, Yeah, well, you could not put happen? me in charge of a con because I would be like, this is QE, right? Like I can bid as much as I want with no consequence. <laughs> There's consequences. <laughs> <laughs> There are consequences. There are consequences. <laughs> All good leaders have to know, have to understand their own strengths and their mm-hmm. own weaknesses and the strengths of their team. And there's things that I can do, but somebody might be better at those than me, or they might enjoy it. More. And so that's where I hope my team sees the value in me is that I try to cater it so that we're all doing our strengths, our area of strength. That's incredible. So, Monica, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with Gamma, the Game Manufacturers Association? How did you get started with the organization, and what do you do as director of media? This is a group I've never even heard of before you mentioned it. Yeah, so Gamma is the trade association for all gaming. It first was heavy on publishers and retailers. Like, that was the two membership groups. So for someone like me that owns events... Like, I know I have value in the industry. I know that what I'm doing is important and bringing new gamers in who, you know, then want to buy these publishers games at the retail stores. Like, I felt like I was trying to fit, you know, my circle into these squares, these two squares that they had created and and was kind of on the outskirts. So Gamma changed the membership structure to six different categories. And one of those categories is media and events. Because the media people even felt like like we can cover things from the publishers or we could cover our board game store, but I don't know how I fit in as a member. So what's good about Gamma is being the trade association, like we now have this place where we can network and learn from each other. That's what attracted me to it is the opportunity to see if some of my peers had good ideas for running a convention. I even just was talking to the Gamma president today and telling him like, my position is slightly a lonely one in the industry because, like, you know, I own these conventions, but we're almost our own little islands. Unless you reach out, like I have to some of the other convention owners and said, hey, let's exchange ideas and talk about our issues. You're very much alone in negotiating your contracts and figuring all this stuff out yourself. And some people won't share their their secrets like, hey, what'd you get for this contractor? What are you using for this? Or who get, who does your t-shirts? Some people haven't been that board So now Gamma, with this media and events area, 
I can invite event managers to be part of Gamma. We can do training. So at Origins every year, Gamma hosts a ton of in um, industry trainings that we can do. So my partner, Nicole, and I, Nicole Brady, in Gamma, we head up the media and events area. And, you know, we did presentations. We talked to retailers about the positive things of partnering with media, like partnering with the media in your area or media at the distance, partnering with your local events, how this can be good for your store. So I see Gamma as a place where we, like for those of us who have a little bit of experience in the industry, can go to share that and to lead and to guide others. And then for people who are starting out or, you know, that might be in that situation where they can share their knowledge, where they can come and have this place to network, find new ideas, be encouraged and grow. We also do things like, I know I'm just talking a lot, but <laughs> we also do things that stores or people like me need or creators, designers, publishers, artists, all those people, they're kind of in their own little island. But if they join Gamma, they now have this whole resource of other people that are struggling with the same thing that they're struggling with, possibly things like health insurance, like Gamma has a health group health insurance plan. Yeah, so there's things like that, that whatever resources, you know, as a director of Gamma, that we find that we see that people need, we are able to ask the home office if that is something that we can look into. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to leak out something that I'm working on. <laughs> Ooh, is it spicy? Well, I'm excited about it because, so it's been a year now since these new membership groups have existed. And we are teaming with Casual Game Revolution of the website. They had a map on their website that shows all of the different board game convention locations and dates and everything. Ooh. So I, we've been working with them, with Chris over there, to see if we can get that onto the Gamma website. And so that would be a, a resource for all of us to see what gaming conventions are going on, what gaming events are happening, what the dates are, all of that. So we're working on that functionality right now. So I'm super excited about that project. Awesome. So you were able to turn one of your favorite hobbies into a business. True. What advice would you be able to give to others about doing the same for their hobby? Well, I was in a situation that was unique. My spouse at the time and I worked so that he could be like the primary breadwinner. So I did have a lot of free time to put towards that. But I think if, if people focus, if they definitely want to turn their hobby into something, you have to first decide, is this just going to be like kind of an enhancement to my hobby? Or do I want something that's really going to make money? And then I would say put yourself in network with people in that area that you want to go to. So, for example, if I wanted to be in board game media, I'd talk to you guys. I'd talk to Tantrum House. I'd say, can I intern with you? You know, I would do whatever I can to learn about microphones and sound and social media. Like, I would try to educate myself the best I can to minimize my risk. So just determine, you know, am I really turning this hobby into to something that I, I definitely want to be a business for me? Just manage your expectations. <laughs> awesome. 
So Monica, earlier you and I were talking about inclusivity in board gaming and how we can make the hobby more inclusive to all people. Can you tell us a little more about how Gamma is attempting to include all gamers in this hobby? Yeah, the motto, I guess, for Gamma is a game on every table, a table for everyone. And, you know, I'm a slight minority in in the gaming just because I'm female. I know that 80% of my audience for board gaming conventions are male. I know that. I can see that. (laughs) So I feel like, you know, Gamma does have certain programs that include, that try to be inclusive and, and starting with just that tagline that we do want women, people of color, just a diverse range of, of people included. Like even in our board, we've got male, women, people that identify as non-binary or just different ident- gender identifications. That, and, you know, we all just focus on gaming. And I think that's the main thing is to just welcome people and play games. So, oh, Gamma does have a program, kind of a scholarship program and mentorship program for certain businesses that, that are minority run or minority focused. So that could be something that people would be interested in and reading about. And that's gamma.org is the website for Gamma. Yeah, everybody's welcome, whether you're a creator, an artist. We have board game distributors, publishers, retailers, and of course, media. You know, you guys need to know what's going on too and and learn things like Nicole and I I know this is off the topic of inclusivity but one of the trainings Nicole and I did was on for retailers how to do lighting and how to do sound and that was from the media group the media people taught that to the retailers Um, but as a media member of Gamma you could come in and learn what microphone you could use that's best and use different tools or learn about different tools. So basically including everyone and acknowledging that each person's part in the gaming industry is important and valuable. That's awesome. I love that. Games for everyone. So when Board Game Famous blows up to be big enough to start our own con, Monica, I hope we can plan on consulting with you to to design FameCon. All right. That would be so great. I, by the way, I do love your... I love the name of your your podcast, Board Game Famous. Yeah, a lot of people, designers, you know, big people. Rodney Smith could walk down the street, nobody would recognize him. (laughs) You know, in our own little niche of the world, like, you know, people are Board Game Famous. So I'm, I'm flattered that you guys invited me to be part of that group. It is a niche group, and it is surprising how how you can just be linked to people across the country, across the world, through this hobby. Oh, yeah. And just seeing the fans, I, I love it. I love that, you know, people know, like in our, in our little area, like we know the publishers, the designers, like we value that in the board game. It's like knowing the author of the book, like not just knowing the book title, but who created that and what went into it. Um, and just seeing that process is, is really awesome to see. The guy I played uh, Middle Earth Quest with, the guy who owns the game, is a local designer. Designer oh, of Sunday Split and also partnered with Robert Burke on Silver River, our friend Nate Bivens. Shout out to Nate. <laughs> yep, I do know Nate. I met him at Dice Tower Con a million years ago before he was designing. See? The world is small. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, Small I world. mean, I'm, I know my Southern gamers. I know my <laughs> companies, the designers. When you start getting out to the West, I, I don't know as many people. But if you're in the South and I don't, then you please introduce yourself. All right, and the last section of this podcast is mail time. Without musical accompaniment. And the question this week, this fortnight, is have you ever sold or got rid of any games in your collection? If so, what games and why? Um, Can I go first? Let's let Jesse answer. (laughs) So my meetup group some years ago did a white elephant, like, gift exchange at Christmas time. Um, and I remember feeling like I don't have any games I want to get rid of yet. I don't remember what I put in the first time, but I remember intentionally collecting some games I didn't especially want and putting them in the next time. And before too long, it was like I had too many to get rid of there. Um, I distinctly remember getting rid of Summoner Wars in that, which was a game that sounded cool in theory, but when I played it, I just didn't enjoy it. It felt more like two people are going at each other and then you just keep going until you get to the end of the game. It just it just didn't do it for me. I got rid of a couple others that way. Good cop, bad cop. Uh, we didn't play test this at all. A couple Kickstarters that just didn't do it for me as much. I also love giving games away once I have fully enjoyed them. Some of my friends, we pass games on to them and and escape room type things. So for instance, when we finished the first Macro Micro Crime City, we passed it on to friends of ours. When I finished playing Mice and Mystics solo, I passed that on to my friend who has a 9 or 10 year old daughter in hopes that they would enjoy that game together. So I love giving games to people who I think will enjoy them. I am terrible at selling games. I have a lot of games that see no play. I would like to sell them. I just don't know how. It's scary and overwhelming. So uh, they just sit on the shelf. If anyone wants Kill Shakespeare, I will give it to you for like negative (laughs) $2. You pay for shipping. <laughs> it was that bad. I didn't. I didn't play that one. I didn't play it. Was I missed that board game night? <laughs> oh, the one game that I've gotten rid of that I don't think is a bad game. I got rid of Wingspan from Stonemaier Games. What? I played it one time. I thought it was fine, but my friends enjoyed it more, so I gave it to them. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great if you game. Guys want to get rid of things locally, like in the Charlotte area, there there are some resources like Facebook pages or you know I think it's something like local Charlotte Game Exchange or something like that. I can I'll send you a link. But there's definitely you know local types of places through Facebook where people can exchange games, maybe trade them or sell them. And there's always of course like eBay, but that you know if you make over $600 in board game sales, then now you're going to get a W-2 at the end of the year. Taxes on or whatever the W number is. Yeah, so that's something to look out for. Have you culled any games from your collection, Monica? I have so many to sell, it's embarrassing. (laughs) I'm talking 400 that I probably need to get listed to sell. The game libraries that I was talking about is about 1,700 games at this point, but I even have some Kickstarters and stuff that I've not even opened. I know Bloodborne is one of them. There, uh, I don't know. There's, I have, I have a ton, and 
I just feel a little bit like Jesse. Like it can be overwhelming trying to like get them listed and then actually get them to that person that wants to buy them. <laughs> so I do have a lot that I have to get rid of. I guess talking about Gamma one more time, if you're a Gamma member, there's a quarterly magazine that you get for free as or included in your membership fees. And I think it would be a great article to kind of follow my sales experience <laughs> and saying like, what, where were good places to sell these games? So kind of guinea pig that myself, because I'm sure a lot of people are in that situation, trying to sell their games, maybe not as altruistically as giving them a difference that would enjoy them more, <laughs> although that, that was the best way to do it. This is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much, Monica, for joining us and sharing all of your fantastic, wonderful, knowledgeable experience about how cons work, how you meet people, how you get them started and all that. And you've talked about so many things. Now is the time and place to plug all of them. The easiest way... I have one website called GameCon HQ. So like GameCon headquarters, GameConHQ.com. And from there, you can click on a link that will lead you to Proto ETL, where you can, you know, if you're a hopeful designer and you have some ideas or you just want to play test people's stuff, you can go to TantrumCon from there, right on that homepage. Hold at Sea is on the homepage where you can learn about board gaming cruises. And of course, Game and Party Con. Also on that website towards the bottom, our links to our friends convention. So you heard us mention things like Mega Moose Con or, you know, Escape Winter Con or whatever we've mentioned, like uh, Mace Game Convention, you know, those sort of things scare up. I keep thinking of more that are there, but those are people that, that I have partnered with in advertising and we want you to go to their gaming things. We want you to come to mine. Like, you know, get out there and play some games. So really that one website leads you to everything. Any charities you want to mention? I'm actually going to talk to Alex, who is the father of Maddie, of Maddie's Heroes, for the Childhood, uh, Childhood Leukemia Association. And I'm going to see if I could add a link to his website on mine. And I think that would be the easiest. GameConHQ.com <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And if you want to reach us, you can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com or you can follow us on Instagram, link in the description. Or you can join our Discord, link also in the description. Thanks for joining us. Yay, thanks for having me. I, I, I love you guys. We love you. Bye-bye now. Bye! I feel like you should start doing an Easter egg at the end of episodes like a lot of like a lot of podcasts do the little like blooper at the end like Dungeons and Daddies has the little like final joke. <laughs>